Open your Bibles to the second chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. We're taking a short two-week break from our ongoing sermon series from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be coming back to that in two weeks. But for this week and for next week, we're going to be kind of reminding ourselves of who we are. This is something that we as a church do somewhat regularly. Every few months, we'll just take a week, two weeks, three weeks, and uh, talk together about the things that are most important to us as a church. We do this for a couple reasons. One, we all need to be reminded of the mission and the vision that God has given us. Amen? Let me say that again. (laughs) We all need to be reminded of the mission and the vision that God has given us. Amen? The second reason that we do this is because some of you are somewhat new. This is your first week, second week, third week, and, uh, and you maybe are still wondering, what is this church ab- about? What does this church care most about? How does this church spend its time, its energy, its resources? So we, we take these occasional breaks and kind of reground ourselves in who God has called us to be. For the benefit of those of us who've been around for a while, it's a, it's a reminder. But for those of you who are somewhat new, too, this is uh, to give you a taste of what we as New Community Covenant Church are all about, okay? So that's what the next two weeks are, are, are going to be about. Please, please, if you can, plan on being here next week as Michelle Dodson kind of picks up the second part of this. Uh, these two sermons go together, uh, and so it'll and so be really helpful if you can be here for both of those. Uh, we've kind of grounded our, our, ourselves in, in a phrase, and you get a little piece of it from this slide right here, but we, for, for these two weeks we're saying that every one of us Every one of us participates with God in his mission everywhere we go. Let me say that again. Every one of us participates with God in his mission everywhere we go. And together we participate with God in his mission in Bronzeville. Okay? It's both. So I'm just going to take the first half of that sentence this week, and Michelle is going to take the second half of that sentence next week. So again, you need to be here for both to see how these things are held together. My job today is to, is to show you, to remind you that every single one of us in this room has been sent by God to participate in God's mission everywhere we go. Okay? Okay? Wow, you all sleepy today or something? What's, do you need like stretch or coffee or? Okay, all right. Where's John White? Where's John White? Is he? John, John White's dad yesterday, he's a preacher, and, and, and we were talking. He's like, he's like, your church, man. He's like, y'all too, like, just up in here. You need to say stuff. When I was like, yes, amen, amen. And, but then he's like, and you, pastor, he's like, you need to get fired up a little bit when you preach. I was like, oh, okay, all right, I'll work on that. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, before, we, before we get to Genesis, and, and, and have your Bible just ready today, because we're going to uh, be kind of all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some of the scriptures will be on the screen, but follow along in your Bible so you can be taking some notes in your Bible uh, to refer to later, especially uh, those of you in community groups as, as you kind of uh, dig into these texts a little bit more. Um, but before we get to our Genesis text, uh, Tyler, put up that, that photo. Um, anybody recognize this? It was like, oh, groan. So I, in case you've been kind of buried under a rock for the past couple of weeks, this guy's a pastor uh, at a church in Florida, and a pretty small little church. And uh, at some point in, in the past few months, he announced that his church was going to, to hold a Quran uh, burning day 
on, uh, well, it's supposed to be yesterday. And it's a very narrow window, like three hours, you know, so he's very clear. You've got to be here by six, and we're done by nine. Uh, didn't happen. Didn't happen, thankfully. Um, but uh, it, was just, it was kind of an interesting thing for me as a pastor to watch this other pastor talk about some things. And some of you, I think, feel similarly, right? Like you call yourself a Christian and then there's somebody who also calls themselves a Christian and you're like, whoa, that seems like a big difference between kind of where I live and uh, where you live. But I watched this guy talk and, and talk about why he thought this was a good idea. And I felt a lot of different emotions. Um, but you know, the thing that I felt the most was just sad, to be honest. I just felt sad. Um, and this, this, this one question kept coming to mind. How did he get there? How did, how did he get to the point where this seemed like a good idea? How did he get to the point where he thought that this would be the best way to represent Jesus? To my city, to my state, to our country, frankly now, to the world. I don't know how he got there. I don't know this person. I'm not in his head. I, I don't know how he got to that point of thinking that this would be the, the best way to represent Jesus to the world. But I have a guess. I have a hunch. And it's, I, I wonder if it's the same tendency that I, I feel in myself at times and that I see in us at times. And it's this, the tendency for us to mistake our interests for God's interests. The tendency to mistake uh, my will for God's will. The, mistake to mis- or the, the tendency to mistake the way I see the world for how God sees the world. Oh, it's way too easy. It's way too easy for us to think that, you know, whatever I think is right must be what God thinks is right too. Whatever I think is how, how I should spend my time, my energy, my resources must be how God thinks about this as well. We think, if we're honest, that God agrees with us most of the time, right? Uh, and that's a problem. How do, we, how do we get to this point? I think oftentimes we get to, a, to, to a, a point of confusing our will for God's will by starting with the wrong question. We start with a how question. How is it that I'm supposed to be a Christian in this world? How is it that I'm supposed to follow Jesus in this world? How is it that I'm supposed to live out this Christian life in the world? We start with the how question. And when we start with the how question, it gets really easy to mistake my will for God's will. My interest for God's interest. My biases for God's biases. Now, if we're thinking about this, we might take one step back and we move away from the how question to the what question. And we might say, well, what exactly is God doing in the world? Right? So, so not just how am I supposed to do what God wants me to do, but what is it exactly that God is doing in the world? And that's a, that's a better starting point. But can I tell you that the place that we need to start is with the who question. Who is this life ultimately about? Who is my life ultimately about? Who is this world ultimately about? To put it another way, um, whose mission, whose mission is it that I'm called to participate in? Let's call it the who question. Can we start not with the how, not with the what, but with who? Whose mission is it? 
And then we can get to the, well, what is this mission that we're called to participate in? And then only then can we get to the, how do we do this? How do we do this? If we skip the who question, I guarantee we will go off course. Now, we may not end up burning Qurans down in Florida, but we will go off course. So uh, what I want to do today is try to answer these questions. Whose mission is it? Our church talks about mission all of the time. Whose mission are we talking about? And then what exactly is this mission? Finally, finally, how do we together participate in it? Does that make sense? That's where we're going today. So open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. Whose mission is it? What is this mission? And how can we participate in it? The story of the scriptures, I would contend with you, is God's story. It's not your story. It's not my story. The story of the Bible ultimately is God's story. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 22. We have that up there, Tyler? This is, this is kind of the very beginning of the Bible. It's the very beginning of, of God's story and our story that we have recorded in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 22. Now, uh, watch, how this, watch how this works. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord commanded the man, you are to, uh, free to eat any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now look, look. Right from the beginning, God gives humanity mission. Do you see this? What's the mission? Huh? The go- yeah, take care of it. Take care of the garden. I've made this perfect place, this beautiful place. Now I've placed you in it. Not to sit back and just soak it in. Sometimes I think that's our, that's our image of the Garden of Eden, right? If we could just get back to the Garden of Eden, it'd be like one long vacation. No, no. God created this perfect place for humanity to live within. And right from the beginning, here's your mission. Care for it. Steward it. Take care of it. Let's move on. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the beasts of the field and all of the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. Again, mission. Not just kick them back in the garden. Name the animals, name the plants. Adam, you have a role. You have something to do. You see this? You see this? But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Again, all of the language around this story is of God's action, of God's mission. Adam, you can't do this by yourself. I'm going to create somebody to come alongside you and do this with you. Participate with you in the mission that I have given you. Do you see this? Right from the beginning, before sin enters the picture, God is at move. God is moving his creation forward. God is inviting Adam and Eve to participate in God's mission. Do you see this? You guys are really like, really, really, really something today. So at least do this. Like, can you do? Okay. Wow. Michelle, this is hard today. This is this. I, I need you up, like, up here, you know. Because there's like three people in our church that know how to talk back a little bit, you know. 
got to strategically locate you around me to gather my, counter my insecurities here. Um, from the very get-go, from the very, very get-go, God is at work. God is moving forward, and God is inviting humanity to participate with God in God's mission. Most of us in this room know how this story goes. We know that sin enters the picture when Adam and Eve choose rebellion, right? They eat the fruit of the one tree that God told them not to eat of. Now, we saw it a second ago. What was the consequence of this decision? What was the consequence of their sin? It's louder. Death, right? Now, here's something that, that was pointed out to me just a few weeks ago. I was sitting in a class that was being taught by a former missionary to Thailand. Um, and, he, and he said that he was discussing this passage with some leaders uh, from the church in Thailand. And they got to this, this point, and they, they asked this missionary, they said, um, who is it in this story who is shamed? And, and, and that's not, you know, a particularly kind of Western way of talking about this passage. It's more of an Eastern way of talking. Uh, if you come from a culture where shame, where losing faith sort of is, is prominent in sort of how you understand sin, rebellion, the world. The, the, so, so they're coming from this place. They're saying there's shame now entering the story. That somebody is, is losing face in this story. Now, again, this is not kind of how I would think about this, but so, so, so these leaders asked this missionary, who's losing face? Who is shamed in this story? And they're pointing specifically to chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, this is after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit, after they had sinned, after they had rebelled. Did God know what had happened? He's God, right? So he, he knew what had happened. In the moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, what should have happened? Death, right? That's what God said would happen, right? So for these leaders from Thailand, they said in that moment when Adam and Eve did not eat the fruit, who was shamed? That's what I would have said. God. Who lost face? God. Oh, this is powerful. Powerful. This is powerful, church, because if this is right, if in that moment when God didn't do what God said he would do, we begin to see the very beginnings in that moment of God's rescue mission. From the very first interaction that God has with humanity after they sin, when God withholds punishment, when God withholds judgment, we see the very beginning of God's rescue mission. Does this make sense to you? And it took me a while to sort of, because I don't think this way. It was incredibly helpful for me because here it is, right from the beginning, we see something incredibly important about God. I've been on mission from the moment I created this garden, giving you work to do, and now you've sinned, now you've rebelled. The mission keeps moving forward. I'm still going to be on the move. And in fact, I'm going to begin rescuing you from the very point of your sin and your rebellion. Can I tell you that this is maybe the first glimpse of the gospel? Chapter 3 of Genesis. God giving grace, mercy, instead of judgment. You see this? Is this good news? All right, let's keep going. So right from the beginning, God's on mission. Um, And then he comes to a man by the name of Abram. Uh, Next passage there, Tyler. Uh, Abram's uh, name is later changed to Abraham. 
And uh, God comes to this man and he says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. Key to our understanding of what God has been doing in his world is to understand that when God comes to Abraham, He says, Abraham, from you, I'm going to make a great family. From your family, I'm going to make a great nation. Why? What does the Bible say? What does the text say? Why? Why is God doing this? Not a rhetorical question. Why? What? To bless the world. To bless the world. Abraham, I'm, I'm calling you out. I'm calling your family out. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation for a purpose, for a reason, for a mission. Why? To demonstrate to the world who I am. To demonstrate to the world that I am on a mission to redeem, to restore the world. Right from the, right, 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 right. We're just in chapter 12 of Genesis. Okay, so there's a lot more after that. From the very beginning of God's story, God demonstrates to you and to I that he is a God of mission. Um, uh, let's look at the Jonah passages. Anybody know the story of Jonah? Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah and the whale. Uh, probably Jonah and the big fish, but whatever. Um, Jonah is a prophet, a Jewish prophet. God comes to Jonah verse uh, uh, one of the, of the, of the book. The word, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, uh, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Here's the thing to understand. Nineveh, Israel, enemies. Enemies. God says to Jonah, um, my, my mission's for them too. My work is for them too. The restoration, the reconciliation that I'm pursuing for the world includes, no, Jonah, your enemies. Okay? So Jonah goes, he, uh, I mean, he takes a detour that involves a fish and then getting vomited by the fish. But eventually he gets there. He gets there. And lo and behold, the people actually listen to him. They repent. They turn away from their sin. Chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Does that sound familiar? Sound like how God interacted with Adam and Eve? Had compassion. The very last verse of the book, God is talking to Jonah. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their, left, their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Who is God's mission for? Everyone. Everyone. Some of us read the Old Testament, it's a, it's a lot about the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, but the thing for us to remember is that this is God's way of demonstrating his mission to the entire world. Jonah, you're going to Nineveh. I, I don't want to go. You're going to Nineveh. Why? Because I exist for the whole world. Right from the beginning, you guys, right from the beginning, we see that God's instinct is, is to be missional. God's first reaction, God's first movement is to pursue us, to reconcile us. God doesn't sit back and say, oh, I'm going to let you all kind of stew in this meth you made for yourself. And then I'll... No, no, no. Right from the beginning. This is, this is absolutely critical for us to understand, for us to see. 
We move into the New Testament now. John chapter 17, verse 18. Watch this. Watch this. Jesus is praying to his Father in in the presence of his disciples. He says, as you, Father, God the Father, as you, Father, sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now watch this. Jesus, God the Son, praying to his Father, God the Father. Jesus says, God, you sent me. You see that? Father, you sent me. Father has sent the Son. The Son has been sent by the Father. Now, we go to Acts. Peter now. Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. The apostle Peter is preaching his first sermon in Jerusalem. This is what he says. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted, in other words, ascended, raised back to heaven, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in here. In the first passage, we see Jesus praying to his Father, saying, Father, you sent me. In this passage, we see, we see Peter preaching that Jesus, having ascended to heaven, is now the one who sent who? The Holy Spirit. Watch this. God the Father sends who? Jesus sends who? Holy Spirit has been sent by who? Jesus. Jesus has been sent by? You're mostly with me. We worship a God who is both sender and sent. We worship a God who is both sender and sent. One way to understand God's missional instinct is to say this was just God's reaction to a sinful, broken humanity. I've got to rescue him. Yes, true. And, and, this is just a part of who God is. The God who we worship, God's very character, is missional in nature. God, as a trinity, is both sender and sent. God sends God's self. God is sent by God's self. Are you, are you tracking the very heart of, so it's not just a decision. I, I'm going to go be a God of mission now because y'all have really screwed things up. Somehow, mysteriously, we get a glimpse at God's character, at God's nature. That within God's self, there is a being sent and a sending on mission. Here's why this is so important. Every time that we talk about mission, it has to point us back to that. Every time we talk about the way we participate in God's mission, what we do for God, with God, the way that we serve, has to point us back to a God of mission, whose very nature is to be sent and to send. You see this. We miss this. We can can end up in the ditch. We can end up way off course. Okay, next passage is Tyler. Did I tell you we'd be all over the Bible today? So Jesus, at the end of his uh, ministry, right before he ascends to heaven, this is going to be at the end of our uh, Complete Transformation sermon series, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Luke records it a little bit differently in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, again, talking to his disciples right before he ascends, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus sends his disciples. By the time we get to this point, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus sends his disciples. Because if we've been paying attention, we understand that God sends. God is a God of mission. At the heart of who God is, is a God who is sent and who sends. So of course, when Jesus ascends to heaven, he sends his disciples on mission. We shouldn't be surprised by this, but we also don't start with this. We start with who God is, not with the fact that we've been sent. The fact that we've been sent points us back to who God is as a God of mission, reconciling the world to himself. So whose mission is this? When we talk about mission as a church, whose mission is it? Whose mission, church? I'm throwing you an easy one here, you know. Whose mission, church? God's. From the beginning. This has been God's mission. You and I don't get to claim it. We don't get to call it our own. We don't get to pretend like it's ours. It's never been ours. Always been God's mission, reflecting the very character and nature of who God is. So let's talk now about the second question, the what question. We're not going to spend much time on this because we frankly talk about this every single Sunday. What is God's mission? If we can say that the mission is God's alone, reflecting God's character, then what's the nature of this mission? What is this mission like? What's this mission about? The Bible talks about this in a lot of different ways with different metaphors, different stories. We've been talking in Matthew about how Jesus uses this language of the kingdom of heaven having come. That's one way to talk about what God's mission is. The fact that in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come. Okay? But I want to I show you a passage from 2 Corinthians. Because I think the way that Paul summarizes what God's mission about is perfect for our church. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God, who has reconciled, the key word, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is God's mission? Paul says reconciliation. Reconciliation. What has God been up to since the very beginning? Reconciliation. What has God accomplished through Jesus? Reconciliation. That which was once divided has been brought back together. The distance that used to exist between us and God has been bridged by the cross. Reconciliation. This, Paul says, has been God's mission. God has been reconciling what? The world to himself. How? Through Jesus. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Paul says, God is reconciling the world, restoring the world to himself. Do you see this? Through Jesus, God is at work reconciling us to God. What is God's mission? Reconciliation. What has God been up to in the world? Reconciliation. What does God care about? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. But here, here, here's the piece. Here's the piece that we can't miss. 
God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Uh, My brother-in-law is uh, a colonel in the U.S. uh, Army, and uh, he's stationed with my sister in uh, Taipei, in Taiwan. Um, he's, a, he's kind of a diplomat. He's sort of the army equivalent of an ambassador. Um, so when my brother-in-law uh, shows up at meetings, he, he, who's he representing? The United States Army, right? He, he doesn't get to show up and say, well, here's what I think we should do. Well, here's what my preferences would be. What's his job? to represent those who have sent him. In this case, it's the army. You see this. Paul says, you are an ambassador. Of what? Of God's reconciling work in the world. So you are representing what God has been doing. You see this. You don't get to show up and say, if I were in charge, you're not in charge. I think this is a good idea. It's probably not a good idea. Here's a really innovative create. No, 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 no. Who are you representing? The God who is reconciling the world through Jesus. We're ambassadors. That's it. We've been committed, not the work of reconciliation, not the task of reconciliation, not the duty of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. Why? Because God is already doing this through Jesus. Whose mission is it, church? It's God's mission. God's at work. God is accomplishing his purposes. Let me tell you about it. Let let me represent that to you. Let me show you what that looks like. That's it. That's it. What What is God's mission in the world? Reconciliation. 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 So finally, let's get to this last question. Last question. How can we, how do we participate in God's mission? We start with the who. This is God's mission. We get to the what is this mission? Reconciliation. How then does our church participate in God's mission? Let me stop for a minute and just say that when we get to this point, it can look a lot of different ways. Okay? There are churches down the street who are going to answer this question differently than we would. And that's okay. Do you hear me? That's okay. You might have a slightly different theological nuance than we as a church do, so you're going to answer this how question. We go, that's okay. As long as the who question has been answered and the what question has been answered, when we get to the how, we expect it's going to look different for different Christians in different churches. Amen. There are people who are in different contexts, different neighborhoods than ours, and their, their way that they answer this question better look different than it looks for us. We have a different group of people who've helped start this church. It's going to reflect how we answer this question. Do you see what I'm saying? We're not in competition with other churches because they look different than us. We celebrate the fact that churches can answer this question in different kinds of ways as we pursue God's mission together. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm gonna, I'll stand, step off the soapbox here. How do we participate in God's mission? Remember, we're talking here about a God who has, who has been at work reconciling the entire world to himself through Christ Jesus. We're talking about a God whose mission is reconciliation. 
So as God's ambassadors of God's reconciling mission, how do we participate in God's mission everywhere we go? As a church, we talk about this pretty simply. Christ, community, and cause. Can you put the mission statement up real quick again? Christ, community, and cause. These are the, kind of the three C words that ground our identity as a church. We seek to be a city within a city, an alternate Chicago. First, that passionately loves Jesus Christ. Second, intentionally engages in authentic community. And third, radically advances the cause of Jesus. So when we get to this how question, how do we participate in God's mission in our world? This is how we answer it. This is how we answer this question. So let's unpack this a little bit. Christ. I'm going to give you just a couple of things underneath each of these different C's, okay? So underneath Christ, we are witnesses every day. When we talk about how do we, as people who've been sent by God to participate in God's mission everywhere we find it, we are witnesses every day. Let me say a couple things about that. Uh, Some of us are really good about being witnesses when we come to church. Right? We know kind of the right things to say, the right ways to look, right time to raise our hands. We don't know how to, you know, say amen during a sermon, but you know, we're getting there. We know the right things to do. Thank you, Christine. Just keep that coming. That, you know, we know the right things to do when we come to church. The reality, though, is that God's mission is advancing everywhere. So we are witnesses to this fact every day. What does it mean to be a witness? This, this word witness is one that's used throughout the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts. The apostles use this word to talk about what they do, who they are. They say, we have, we've seen something. We've experienced something. We were with Jesus. We saw him crucified. We saw him resurrected. We saw him ascended. We've seen something. I've said this before. Can you choose to be a witness? No. You don't get to choose to be a witness, right? Right? And again, I've used this example before, but if there's, a, if there's an accident out on Martin Luther King Drive right now, and after the service, the police is trying to kind of, you know, figure out what happened, and you walk up to, Tony walks up to him and says, hey, I can help out. Great, what did you see? Oh, I was in the service. I didn't see anything. Well, that, but I want to help. But, but you, did you, no, I was, you can't, you didn't see anything, Tony. You didn't witness anything. Can we choose to be witnesses? No. We either are a witness or, are, or we're not. Now watch this. Christians are people who've encountered the resurrected Jesus. Christians are people who have encountered, who have seen, who have tasted something, who have been changed by the resurrected Jesus. Do we get to choose whether we're going to be a witness or not? Now, some of us have this baggage because we hear witness and we're like thinking door-to-door, you know, evangelism or passing out. That's not what we're talking about. Those are actions. Maybe they're good actions. But that's not, that's not being a witness. Being a witness is just testifying to what you've seen. Judge, I was there. Yeah, I saw. Here's what I saw. That's being a witness. What's being a witness for a Christian? Uh, I, yeah, I know Jesus. He, here's how my life has been changed by Jesus. That, that's it. So, 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 so to pursue the mission of God everywhere we go is to be witnesses to what Jesus is doing in our lives every single day. You got that? Put the second one up there, Tyler. We look for God's activity everywhere we go. 
I sat in a, a, a meeting here at Drake um, about three months ago with a local school council. At the end of the meeting, uh, a mother um, came up to me and she said, I just want you to know that some of us have been praying for you for, for, for a long time. Like, oh, did you even know we were going to be here? No. But we were praying that a church would come to this school. Oh. God's mission is advancing everywhere. God is reconciling the entire world to himself through Jesus. That means that you and I, we expect to find God at work everywhere we go. I mean, can I just tell you something? You're never going to show up somewhere and be like, oh, oh, good thing I'm here. Because God wasn't here until I got here. <laughs> Not going to happen. If it happens, you, you know, we'll have a conversation. Because, because God has been at work reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. There is nowhere you're going to show up and go, whew, man, it's a good thing I got here. No, no, no. God's already at work there. There are already people at Drake praying, God, please send a church that's going to care about our kids. We didn't know that. We show up and go, oh, yep, 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 yep. God's already at work. God's already at work. God's already at work. Do you look for this? Do you expect this? Some of you, tomorrow morning, you're going to a job that you hate. You despise your job. Do you expect that God is at work there? Some of you are going home to a family, to a marriage that is just, ah! Do you expect to find God at work there? Some of you go back to your neighborhood, to a block that just feels like it's imploding. Do you expect to find God at work there? Some of you who are students in your fraternities, sororities, do you expect to find God at work there? Because he is. If the Bible is true, God's already at work there. What does it mean for us to participate with God everywhere we go in this mission? It means that we look, we get to discover what God is up to. It's one of the reasons that we as a church, when we started this church in Bronzeville, we didn't say, here's all the great ministries we're going to start. We didn't say that. You know what we said? We're going to pay attention and learn where God's already at work. We're going to watch and see what God's already doing in this neighborhood, through other churches, through neighborhood organizations, through schools. Where is God already at work? And then we want in on that. We want to, we want to participate with where God is already active. Community. Community. What does it look like for us to be a community of, of reconciled people? First, we are radically hospitable. This is, this is another soapbox of mine. Hospitality. Hospitality. It's such a, like, tame word, right? I don't know what you think of when you think of hospitality. It's probably not exciting, though. <laughs> Here's my contention. If the church actually reclaimed hospitality, if we actually understood what hospitality was, the world would never know what hit it. We live in a culture, we live in a society, we live at a time when we're pretty private, many of us. We're pretty closed off to one another. Where we've forgotten what it means to open up our doors to our neighbors. What it means to share a meal with strangers. Would you agree? What if the church rediscovered hospitality, radical hospitality for the sake of Jesus? 
What if, what if your community groups, your small groups, rediscovered hospitality, threw open your doors to everyone? What would it look like for those of you who've, in, who've intentionally decided to live in different places and different neighborhoods together? What would it look like if the lens that you looked at your neighborhood was, 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 was through one of radical hospitality? God, what stranger can we welcome in? What broken person can we be in relationship with? What hurting person can we have a conversation with? What isolated, lonely person can we be in relationship with? You see what I'm saying? This means, this means, church, that there's nobody that you and I interact with who we think, no, 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 no. I don't think they would ever want to be a part of this. To be a radically hospitable people, to be a people that believes that God's mission is advancing everywhere in the world, is to be the kind of people that expects that God is at work in everybody's lives. So the person that you have written off in your mind as being too far from God, too skeptical, too cynical, God is at work in their life. The person who you look at and you think there's just too many cultural barriers for me to cross to be in relation, God is at work in that person's life. Will you be open? to what God is doing there. Radically hospitable. I want to start hearing stories in our church of radical hospitality. I want to start sharing. I want you all to start sending emails that we can share as a church. Let me tell you about this thing that happened in our neighborhood, in our community group, in our home. Let me me tell you a story about radical hospitality. Let me tell you about a person who's not lonely anymore, who's not isolated anymore. Let me tell you about a person who's another step further in their, in their journey towards Jesus. Can we do that, church? Can we demonstrate that kind of radical hospitality? Can we be the church, going off on a rant here now, can we be the kind of church that literally will welcome every single person who walks in our doors, no matter what? Can we be that kind of church? Can we, can we so structure ourselves? Can we, be, can we be so mindful of people who aren't here yet that every single person who walks in the door will say, how did you think of me too? How did, how did you think of me too? Uh, second, second one there. We exist for the good of others. Uh, let's put up the Philippians passage right away here. So Paul's writing to the church in Philippi and uh, he says some really incredibly powerful words. He says, look, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, church, your example is that of Christ Jesus. Okay, so what's the example? Jesus, who was being, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but here's the key, made himself nothing, made himself nothing, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, now, take it in. Take it in. Paul says, church, this is your example. Church, be like Jesus in this way. Who gave himself away. Jesus, in very nature God, who gave himself away. Jesus, who has all authority, all power, all control over the entire universe, humbles himself to be born a baby in a manger. That's your example. That's your example. Jesus, who gives away all power so that he can be crucified, hung on a cross for your reconciliation. Church, that's your example. Can you take that in? Jesus gives away his life for the benefit of others. 
Jesus humbles himself to death, even death on the cross, so that you and I could be reconciled to God. Church, that's our example. In other words, we don't get to exist for ourselves. We don't get to exist for our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. At the very center of who we are as a, as, a, as, a, as a reflection of God's mission in the world is a people who gives ourselves away, who exists for those who are not here yet, to exist for those who may never show up here. This doesn't mean we don't care about each other. It doesn't mean that we're not going to watch out for each other doesn't mean that we're not going to encourage one another, right? But it means that you're never going to hear a sermon about your needs getting met. Okay? Not from me, at least. Because at the very heart of who we are as a church, it's a people who exist for the good of others. Why? Because our example is that of Christ Jesus made himself nothing, gave himself away for our benefit. This is why, church, this is why we're starting a youth group. This is why we're starting a youth group. Because we want to exist for the good of people who aren't here, for students who aren't here yet. We want to exist for the good of this neighborhood and for this school. Amen. There, there would be uh, like church planting kind of gurus who would say, look, if you don't have a bunch of families with youth in your church, don't start a youth group. <laughs> if you don't have people, seriously, I must be honest with you, if you don't have people who are tithing a lot of money who have junior hires, senior hires, don't start a youth group. That's not our understanding of what it means to be the church, though, is it? We exist for the good of others. We exist for the good of those who aren't here. We exist for the good of, 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 of those who, who God is at work in their lives. So we're going to start a youth group. First Sunday of October, by the way. We're looking for folks to help out with that. Tony's excited about that. I'm excited about that too. So people like Jawan and others, they're inviting their friends, right, Jawan? You're telling people about it, bringing them here. Because we want to exist for the good of this neighborhood, for the good of others. This is why, this is why, some point in the near future, we're going to start talking about church planting. Does that sound stupid? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but we're going to start talking about that as a church. We're going to plant that in our DNA. Lord, at some point, we, we think you're going to call us to plant another church. So we're going to get used to that idea right now. We're going to get used to the idea that God is going to call some of us from this church, maybe some of you, someday, two years, three years, four years down the road, to start another church that demonstrates God's reconciling gospel to our city. Amen? That's a little scary for me to think about, but... Uh, This is why when Michelle and I met with the principal here at Drake, we said, uh, what can we, is there something we can do to be helpful and, uh, and just, Michelle, just today, uh, I got a stack of the book names that we can buy. So next Sunday, next Sunday, at the welcome table, there's going to be a list of book titles and ISBN numbers that you can pick up and say, I'm going to buy this for a classroom in this school. Because there's some key textbooks that they're, they don't have the budget for this year. And we said, oh, well, I bet there's some people in our church who would like to give themselves away in this way who would like to exist for the good of somebody they're never going to meet. Anybody going to be up for that? Going to take a book like that? Going to sign up? To, yes, 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 yes. So next Sunday, next Sunday, look for that. Look for that. 
so that the, the classrooms in this school have some of the key textbooks that they need. We exist for the good of others. Lastly, cause. Cause. We recognize that injustice knows no boundary. Uh, this seems obvious. This seems obvious, but I need to say this. Um, because next week, Michelle's going to be talking to us about what does it mean for us to be a people called to this neighborhood? Because we are, every single one of us as part of this church are called somehow to participate in what God is doing in this neighborhood. Yes, and everywhere you and I go, we will encounter injustice. Injustice, evil, sin, wickedness knows no boundary. That's true, right? And so we just, as a church, we start with that reality. We don't gloss over that. There is injustice in this world. There is evil in this world. There is racism in this world. There is oppression. We, we don't turn a blind eye to these things. These things know no boundary. So, so we don't have the luxury of closing our eyes at any point to the injustice in this world, do we? No. As people who, who pursue the cause of Jesus, as our mission statement says, we have to acknowledge that injustice in our world knows no boundary. And so in the same breath, we'll say that neither will boundaries or distances or nations keep us from demonstrating God's compassion and justice to the world. Just like injustice knows no boundary, so, so, our expression of God's justice in the world will know no boundary. Amen. There will be nothing. There will be no barrier. There will be no obstacle. There will be no neighborhood line, line between workplace and home that will keep us from demonstrating God's justice to this world. Why? Because there's no, there's no boundaries when it comes to injustice. Here's the second part, and it's absolutely tied to this first one. We demonstrate Christ's victory over sin, death, and evil. Just like we acknowledge that there's injustice in the world, at the same time we demonstrate to the world that Jesus ultimately has victory over all injustice, all sin, all evil in the world. Amen. One of, uh, one of the authors who I like to read was asked one time, um, Christian authors, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Are you an optimist or a pessimist? And the way he answered was, he said, uh, neither. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Neither. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Neither. Neither. There's evil in the world, so maybe that makes me a pessimist. Uh, But Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Is the world fundamentally pessimistic or optimistic? Neither. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Some of you will remember the sermon series that we did at one point where we had the cross on one side and the throne on the other side of the stage and we said that we are a people who live in the the time between Christ's resurrection and Christ's return. You remember this. We live in an in-between times where Jesus has risen victoriously over sin, death, and evil and one day we'll come back and to restore creation for all times, defeating sin, death, and evil for all times, once and for all. We live in between the times. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Neither. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so we pursue God's mission wherever it leads us as we approach issues of injustice, demonstrating to the world that Jesus is no longer in the grave. That sin, that death, that evil, that wickedness, that injustice has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. Ty, I put up that, that quote um, 
Another author, he wrote this, a church which exists only for itself and its own enlargement is a witness against the gospel. You see that? You see that? A witness against the gospel. The church exists not for itself and not for its members, but as a sign, an agent, and foretaste of the kingdom of God. Now watch this. It is impossible, it is impossible, it is impossible to give faithful witness to the gospel while being indifferent to the situation of the hungry, the sick, the victims of human inhumanity. You see this. To ignore injustice, this author says, is to no longer be faithful to the gospel. To ignore oppression is to no longer be faithful to the gospel. Why is this? Because as people adopted into God's family, as people who have been crucified and resurrected with Jesus, we have a new identity now. We've been adopted into Jesus, which means we care about the things God cares about. Our hearts break by the things that break God's heart. We have a new identity Church, this means, look at this, this means that we're not like going, oh yeah, we're going to approach injustice because that's a good thing to do. We're going we're gonna to be actively involved in justice because that's an important thing to do in the world. This is an issue of identity. Say identity. Identity. It's who we are. As, as people adopted into Jesus, we now care about the things that Jesus cares about. So don't talk to me about what's more important, justice or evangelism. I don't have time for that conversation. We've been adopted into Jesus, and so we now care about the things that Jesus cares about. And if we don't, we're no longer faithful witnesses to the gospel. We demonstrate God's Christ's victory over sin, death, and evil everywhere we go. So we don't choose to pursue the cause of Christ. We don't choose this. Just like we don't choose to be witnesses, we're simply expressing our new identity in Jesus. You see this. Our new identity in Jesus. Uh, Dave, why don't you go ahead and come on up, David? Uh, Worship team. Every one of us has been sent to participate with God in his mission everywhere we go. Every one of you in this room, every one of you in this room has been sent by God I need you to hear this. Every one of you in this room has been sent by God to participate with God in his mission everywhere you go. This is what I need you to leave with today. When we talk as a church about being a people of mission, it's about equipping one another to be sent to participate with God everywhere we go. Do you believe, do you believe that today, that tomorrow, that later this week, you will have opportunities to participate with God in his mission. Is this true for you? I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your home life is like right now. I don't care what school's like for you right now. Do you believe, do you believe that this week you will have opportunity after opportunity to participate with God in his mission in our world? Do you believe that? The mission isn't yours. The mission isn't mine. This is a great relief to us. God's mission is advancing because God is carrying his mission forward. 
What's this mission? It's one of reconciliation. How do we participate in it? We are what? Ambassadors. We're representatives of what God is doing in our world. Do you believe, church, do you believe that this week there'll be conversations, there'll be moments where you will be an ambassador to this mission of reconciliation? Do you believe that? Church, this is, this is who we are fundamentally as a people. Is we believe that God has given us opportunity to be ambassadors. You're not where you are by accident. Your workplace, I don't care how boring, how tedious, how frustrating it is. I don't care how underpaid you are. There's a mission there. Your family, your dysfunctional family, there's a mission there. Do you believe that? Not because you need to work really hard to conjure up some kind of mission, because God has been reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. So there is mission there. Do you believe that? Will you look for it this week? Will you ask the Holy Spirit of God to open up your eyes and your heart to see what God is already doing? It's not up to you to make the mission happen, by the way. Don't try that. It's not going to go well. We might see you on the news one of these days. God is advancing God's mission. Do you have eyes to see it this week? Let's pray. God, we thank you that there is um, very little in actuality for us to do when it comes to mission. We thank you, Lord, that... um, as your scriptures show us over and over again, that the mission is yours. We, th- we thank you, God, that at the very heart of who you are is this missional character to rescue, to restore, to redeem your world. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that, that if there's any weight on our shoulders now, that it would be taken away, that our response to your mission would be grace and mercy, that this is your work, this is your mission. That because your son humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, you're reconciling the world to yourself. So Lord, I want to pray that you would use our church, even this week, would you use our church as we spread out across this city. As some of us spend our, our week here in Bronzeville, as others of us go to school in a different neighborhood or go home to a different neighborhood, God, I pray that as we scatter throughout this city this week, that you would use us to discover where you are at work. That through your Holy Spirit, you would lead us to opportunities to participate in your mission. That we would be people who witness to you everywhere we go, what we've seen, what we've experienced. That we would be people who together demonstrate radical hospitality to those in our dorm, to our neighbors. that we would be people who in the face of injustice that knows no boundary demonstrates to the world that our Savior has defeated sin, death, and evil. That because of our Savior, we're not afraid of injustice. That because of our Savior, because of what has happened in us, reconciled people, our new identity is one that pursues God's justice in our world. God, use our church, not for our glory, but for yours. 
use our church in mighty, powerful ways this week? Would we come back next Sunday with stories of how we got to participate in your mission? Would we come back with stories, with encouraging, hopeful, courageous stories of how we were called to join you in what you are already doing in our city? Not for our sake, not for our glory, but for yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Renee and, and some of the other members of the prayer team, myself, we're going to stay up front. We would love to pray for anybody today who kind of needs to be commissioned to be sent on mission today. Okay? Um, as, a, as a church that sends people every single week to pursue God's mission everywhere we go, if any of you need prayer for that, if any of you need prayer for courage, for insight, for wisdom, we want to pray for you today for your workplace, for at home, for that person in your life. We want to pray for you about that today, okay? So there'll be a few of us who just are hanging around out front afterwards. So please, please come forward. Let us pray for you. Be back next week to hear the second part of this series. Let me pray for you. God, now send us out. Send us out as people who've been given everything that we need for your mission by your Holy Spirit. Send us out as people who are convinced at the depths of our soul that this is your work and your mission, that all we do All we do is represent you to the world. Give us courage. Give us courage as you send us out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, amen. We'll see you next week.